Well, what a, what a strange year it's been this last year. Locked down in our own homes, unable to see our family and friends and do the things that, that we want to do. Um, but as the, as the COVID cases fall, hopefully, and as the vaccinations are rolled out, we're starting to take these tentative steps towards freedom, aren't we? Irreversible freedom, that's what Boris says. It's irreversible. We're going to have irreversible beers and irreversible haircuts, whatever that means. Um, but whether we believe uh, his promises or not, um, aside from COVID, we're, we live in a free country, don't we? We, we, we love that about our country. It's a, it's a free country. We're free. We pretty much get to decide how we live our lives and what we do. And we, we, yeah, we really hope that soon we, we get to return to those freedoms. But here's another twist in the story of Easter. Christ won the victory on the cross to set us free. We saw last week how in his death he achieved this cosmic victory over evil. But the victory wasn't just cosmic. It was, it was a personal victory for us. It was a liberating victory for us, his followers. In other words, it is not just a victory for him, but we get to share in it. How can we share in it? We can share in it because he rose from the dead. As, as we've been hearing um, all afternoon, he is the risen saviour. And those who put their trust in him get carried along with him in his death and resurrection it's in, into this new life of freedom. Um, the, the Easter story is, um, is not one that is sort of abstract or you know, outside of us, but we get wrapped up into the story. And this is a story of, of two kingdoms, the kingdom of slavery and the kingdom of freedom. So this is where we're going today. We're going to compare those two kingdoms, kingdom of slavery, kingdom of freedom. Uh, we'll think about how uh, we can transfer from one to the other, and then we'll have a look at the future of this uh, kingdom of freedom. So what does it mean for us to be uh, in the kingdom of slavery? What, what does a subject of the kingdom of slavery look like? I mean, it's worth acknowledging just for a second that, that we don't like to hear this, do we? We, we don't want to think of ourselves as slaves. We're not slaves, we're free. We're free spirits. No one, no one tells us what to do. Yeah, we, we, we don't like to think of ourselves in that way. So let me show you what I mean by that. And we have to go back to the beginning first, uh, to God's good kingdom of freedom. Adam and Eve enjoyed wonderful freedom in God's creation that he made. And he gave them one rule. And that one rule was there to protect their freedom. And he, he told them not to eat any of the fruit of this one tree, which would be fatal for them. They, they were free, they were happy, they had everything they needed. But also in the garden with them was the devil, a creature who uh, he desired a different kind of freedom. He wanted to assert his independence. He refused to submit to God and to his loving rule. And he led Adam and Eve astray in the same way. Not that they needed a lot of convincing to do that. They, they happily said no to God and willingly submitted themselves to Satan's deception, just as we do. This is the, the essence of sin, 
and, and it's the ship of sin's kingdom. This is a kingdom of rebels. Following him in his rebellion doesn't lead to the freedom that he might promise, but it actually leads to us being enslaved. So there's, a, there's at least four things that we become slaves to when we rebel against God's rule. Um, so first, we're, we're slaves to God's law. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? By attempting to throw off God's law, we actually become slaves to it. Uh, Galatians 3.23 says that we are held captive and imprisoned by the law. We're under its curse. Now, God's law itself is good. His rule in the garden, that one rule, that was to guard Adam and Eve's freedom. The law he gave Israel showed them how to live uh, lives of love towards God and towards each other. The law itself is not bad. It's not evil. But it does place certain requirements on us, and they're requirements that, that we just can't keep, that we don't want to keep. So instead of it being a blessing to us, instead of protecting our freedom, it becomes a curse. We're, we're condemned by our disobedience and we face God's just judgment. And if we imagine the heavenly courtroom, the devil is, is not on our side. He's not a witness for the defense. That, that's, not, that's not the real devil. That's, that's the devil of popular culture, a fictional devil. In reality, he's on the side of the prosecution. He is our chief accuser. The devil loves us to sin because he loves to grass us up. So the law chains us up in slavery because of our sin. Number two, we're slaves to our desires. Again, that's, that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? It's a bit counterintuitive. Can we call it slavery if it's our own desires? Well, we can because... Our desires overwhelmingly lead us to sin. And Jesus says this, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's slavery because our desires themselves are infected by sin. That's not to, replay, uh, to, da to downplay our, our kind of responsibility for sin. Sin comes from our heart and so it does condemn us. But our hearts are, are captive we weren't created this way, but sin poisons us. It poisons our desires. It controls what we do. Again, it's just, it's ironic, isn't it? Our own desires control us. But anyone who's had an addiction or anyone who's had family and friends who have struggled with addiction will know this. We're all addicts to sin. We're all addicts to, to ourselves. We aren't free to be the people we're made to be or the people even that we want to be. We, we live in ways that are, that are kind of self-centred and self-destructive. They're self-centred because everyone's looking out for number one. Therefore, society doesn't function in the way it should. Everyone uh, loving their neighbour, serving their neighbours. So that means things are worse for everyone. That doesn't mean it's ba as bad as it could be. By God's grace, Christian or not, people are capable of immense acts of love and service, aren't they? And, and sacrifice. But, but we see these things as, as wonderful and great because they're the exception, not the rule. So our desires are self, 
self-centered, but they're also self-destructive because they're not in our best interests. They're disordered, they're misplaced. We chase after all the wrong things. We chase after wealth and, and status and comfort and approval and any number of other things. We idolize and worship them rather than our creator God, who we were, we were actually made to worship. We think God wants to restrict us, but in reality, he wants our good far more than we do. So our corrupted desires enslave us from the inside, uh, but also there's, third, there's, a, there's an outward pressure from the world and its values. We like to think that we're independent thinkers, don't we? We make up our own minds about things. But it's impossible for us to get away from imbibing the deepest values of our culture. Since people are sinful, these values are going to be sinful and self-centered. We're blinded to what's really important. We love and worship the exact same things that, that the world loves and worships. It reinforces and affirms us in, in following our sinful hearts. Fourth and finally, we're slaves of death. We looked a little bit at Hebrews 2 last week. Um, and it, it says that we've been slaves of death all our lives. What does that mean? Well, each one of us will face death, won't we? That's what Ben was just saying. The death rate is 100%. And each of us, to one degree or another, fears death. And, and in one sense, that's right. That's proper. Death is a fearsome thing. It's an intruder and it entered God's perfect creation because of sin. But not only is sin the cause of death, it's because of sin that death is so fearsome. Because when we die, that is when we will face God's judgment. And for sinners like us, that's not going to end well. According to Paul, the Apostle Paul, sin is death's sting. So through all these things, the devil has a hold on us. He's got us chained up. We're enslaved. But we're also blind to it. We, we, we don't know that we're slaves. We don't notice that we're, we're chained up. We burst about the, the two or three feet of freedom that we've got in our little cell. We burst about our, our stale bread and water. We burst about our bucket in the corner. We're, we're just oblivious to the freedom that there is in the, the open countryside outside. And, and God would have been quite within his rights to let us lie in that hard prison bed that we have made for ourselves. But here's the wonderful plot twist. Even as he cursed Adam and Eve, God made a promise. This is the beginning of his great rescue plan where captives might be freed, transferred from one kingdom to another. Right in the midst of that first sin, God says this to Satan. This is from Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God loves his creation. He called it good, didn't he? 
He calls humanity very good. And so he makes a plan to redeem it, to come and rescue humanity from our slavery, to free us, to make us truly and fully human again. This plan will involve someone who will crush Satan, even as his own heel is struck. And this, this plan will result in, in bringing sinners out of the kingdom of slavery and back under God's rightful and liberating rule. This is actually a, an incredible work of tactical genius by God, if I, if I can use a, a sporting analogy. This is, this is a state of play in the game. Mankind is enslaved by sin and condemned. And it looks like there's no way out. Even our attempts at being religious are tainted by self-centeredness and pride. We've run away from God's kingdom of freedom and, and have got ourselves locked up in the kingdom of slavery. We're blind to what's truly valuable. We're deceived about who God is. We're facing God's wrath and yet we're oblivious to the true depth of our sin and its consequences. But then God came into the world. He clothed himself in, in the very humanity he was trying to save. Christ was man as man was supposed to be. His obedience was perfect. He was not enslaved in any of the ways that, that we've seen. When Satan offered him the world in exchange for his worship, what did Christ say? He said no. When Satan tried to convince him that God was withholding the, the best from him, he refused to be taken in by the lie. Christ loved and saved people. He didn't, he didn't use them for his own gain. He kept the law to the letter. So that means he wasn't under its condemnation. His, his desire, his heart's desire was to freely do his father's will in delighted obedience. He loved what God loved and hated what he hated. And yet he faced death anyway. This is where God's tactical genius comes in through the seeming own goal of the cross. This is what we saw last week, isn't it? He's able to defeat Satan and he does it by taking away uh, accusation, which is Satan's main weapon, the accusation of sin. So a diagram can look a bit more like this. Rather than racking up a debt like us, Christ put away millions in the bank and so that means he can pay off our debt in full. Christ died and took the penalty of sin, which is death, God's wrath on himself. But as we know, he didn't stay dead. The grave could not keep him chained. By the Spirit's power, he broke free from the tomb and rose to life again to announce the dawning of a new age, a new kingdom, the kingdom of freedom. So what does Christ's kingdom of freedom look like then? What are the freedoms that he brings? Why is it such good news? There are four. Um, you'll notice they'll parallel the, the, uh, the slaveries that we saw earlier. So first, remember, remember that the law enslaved us because we, we couldn't keep it. 
and we're condemned by it. But what does Christ do on the cross? Colossians 2 tells us, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you see what's happened to our sins if we are united with Christ? They're taken away. They're forgiven. The debt that we owe is being cancelled. The charge sheet which lists all of our sin, which condemns us, which Satan stands and reads from in the heavenly courtroom, it's been taken away. Except it's not just been taken away, has it? Do you see what its fate is? Do you see that? It's been nailed to the cross along with Christ. It has suffered the brutal death that Christ did. In other words, it's been completely annihilated. This is, this is what Horatio Spafford had in mind. Um, in the third verse of that famous hymn, It is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So it's not like the, the ledger has just been balanced up, to use financial language. It's not just been balanced up, it's been totally destroyed on the cross. Every evil thought, every wicked word, every, every sinful deed has been crossed out in the thickest, blackest, permanent marker you can imagine. Every page has been ripped out, screwed up, put through the shredder. The whole thing has been thrown into the fire. The ashes have been scooped up and shot out into space. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103. Where is our sin? If we are united with Christ, where is it? It's gone. It's nowhere to be found. We're completely free of it. And so, where is our condemnation? It is no more. Jesus frees us from the kingdom of slavery by disarming Satan. By taking away the sin which was his chief weapon against us. We're released from ourselves and we come out of the kingdom of darkness and death and into the glorious light. But as well as removing Satan's accusation, Christ also makes a public spectacle of him. Did you notice that at the end of Colossians? What does that mean? It means that Christ has exposed Satan's lies. He's shown us the devastating consequences of sin. No longer can Satan and his cronies maintain this, this lie, this deceit that sin is fine, that, that God 
uh, yeah, that we need to free ourselves from God's rule. And it gets even better than that. Going back to this, this idea of this ledger, it's not like just like our old one is, is gone. We've got a brand new one. And what is it filled with? It's filled with the obedience of Christ. And it's our name on the front of it. But there's not enough paper, there's not enough ink in all the world to be able to write the good which he has credited to your account. Therefore, what's what's sin doing in the courtroom? He's utterly, utterly speechless. The accuser has no accusation. Jesus frees us from the condemnation of sin. We also said earlier how we're, we're enslaved to our desires. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But he goes on to say this. If the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. You'll be free totally. Hannah read to us Romans 6. And that helps us to understand how, just how the son sets us free. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, um, if you've got them with you, open them to Romans 6. Uh, we're, we're not going to go through the whole thing. It's a complex passage and we don't need to go into to every detail there. But I, I just want us to see um, exactly what Christ's death and resurrection mean for our relationship to sin. So I'll start reading. Um, I'm just going to pick out a few sort of chunks. I'll start reading from halfway through verse 2 there. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? And here's the key. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So do you see, those who are united with Christ go through those same experiences that he did, death and resurrection. That's why we baptise people in the, the way that we do. If you've seen a baptism happen here, um, we, we lie the person down to symbolise uh, death and then we pull them back up to symbolise the, the resurrection, new life. We die to sin, but we don't stay dead. We're raised to new life without sin, just as Christ died and rose. Back into Romans then. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So that old self, with its old desires, it's gone. It's dead and buried. And because of this, uh, Paul says we ought to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death 
to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. So Paul says that it is now possible for us to not allow sin to rule over us. Its power has been broken. We're we're free from that hold that it has on our hearts. We've been completely remade. The sinful old self, which bowed to those those self-centered, those self-destructive desires, has been put in the ground. And in its place is a brand new self, which is ruled by the spirit. It's God-centered, it's other-centered, it's it's self-giving. Just as we were made to be. So as well as being freed from the penalty for sin, we're free from from that slavery, the slavery of our own desires. The third slavery was was slavery to external influence of the world over us. So in Christ, we're set free to live for God. And this is is one of the main themes of the Apostle John's first letter. Uh, We read in chapter 5, we do read in chapter 5, sorry, this is love for God. To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So God's commands are no longer burdensome to us because we've overcome the world. We've discarded its system of values and replaced it with God's. We're free now to live as loyal subjects of the king. If, if we love the kingdom of slavery, then, then we will want to stay there, right? We're not held there against our will. We look at the kingdom of freedom and say, nah, no thanks. I prefer being over here. Over here, in slavery, I, I get to decide um, you know, how I live. I can be free, I can be autonomous. I don't have to follow God's commands. But Christ opens our eyes. He frees us to see the real freedom that he offers. To see God's commands as, as not burdensome, but liberating, as good, as desirable. Finally then, let's, let's talk about death. Paul says in a letter to the Corinthians, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered the grave. He has beaten death and he shares that victory with us. He is raised and those who united him are raised with him as well into glorious new life imperishable life immortal life this doesn't mean that we laugh in the face of death because death is still an enemy 
It's still unnatural. It's still wrong. In death, we still grieve and mourn. But when it comes to, to our own deaths as followers of Christ, we can be confident. We can be confident that it will have no hold over us because it had no hold over our Saviour. It is the, the, the transition into the fullness of the kingdom of freedom. So Christ's victory is, is comprehensive and decisive. It liberates us, but it's, it's not a completed victory yet. We've not got to the end of the story to, to kingdom come. The kingdom of freedom has, has powerfully broken in through this giant plot twist of Christ's death and resurrection. But the credits haven't started rolling. The victory is won, but its effects are not felt everywhere. The enemy is defeated, but, but not quite destroyed yet. The devil knows that he's lost, but he continues to lash out in anger. The kingdom of slavery hasn't gone away, but it is shrinking back as the kingdom of freedom breaks in and advances. So that means we've got the opportunity to get in on this victory, to reject the devil and his slavery, to be liberated from our captivity and join the kingdom of freedom. There is a day, one day, when this kingdom will take centre stage for everyone to see and, and the other kingdom will be relegated to a footnote. But if you choose not to live under God's rule, if you reject him as a tyrant, as the devil did, if you prefer your own autonomy and your own kind of brand of freedom that the devil offers, then, then God will grant your wish. You will remain in slavery, in the dominion of darkness for all eternity, where Jesus says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. By nature, we're all destined to remain there. But through Christ, out of the riches of his mercy, God has given us a choice by taking hold of his son as our saviour and allowing him to rescue us, we reject the devil, we reject his slavery, and we come to live under Christ's liberating rule. This is a freedom which Christians enjoy in part right now, while looking forward to the, to the fullness of it in the future. We're free from condemnation now. And we look forward to that future day when God will pronounce his final judgment of not guilty on us. We're free to reject our sinful desires and to live lives of, of love and obedience to God while we look forward to the day when we will do this perfectly. We're free to reject the world's values now, but we also look forward to the day when sin no longer entices us. And we're free to face death with confidence now. 
and we look forward to the day when there will no longer be grief of any kind, when Christ will wipe away every tear. Christ's victory is, is comprehensive and his kingdom is a reality in his followers as they go out and grow that kingdom as they take hold of it and live it out. Christ's kingdom of freedom is, is the story without end. This is where those who embrace him will live for all eternity under the liberating rule of our saviour and our king. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, we thank you that while we were slaves to sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that you have come. Um, yeah, that Christ has come to, to take us out of, of that slavery, to remove the condemnation that, that, was, that was there because of our sin to remove the devil's accusation of our sin, Lord. Yeah, we thank you for, for all of these glorious freedoms uh, that, that you give to us through your, uh, through your son's death and resurrection. Um, and Father, would you yeah, help us to, um, to take hold of these freedoms and to celebrate them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.